As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standig and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Uh, back to you uh, guys tonight with another podcast. And by another, I mean this is the second one I've recorded Today, I, I did one earlier, but didn't have a chance to publish it yet. And then in between, um, Washington uh, co-owner, co-CEO, Tanya Snyder, gave an interview that published with Adam Schefter of ESPN and need to react to that. So we're going to do that here. In addition, though, the bulk of this episode will be my interview with our Chargers insider, Daniel Popper, as we get ready for the week one matchup as the Washington football team hosts the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Daniel and I did our uh, my three questions a bit from last year where each of us go back and forth asking three questions. Obviously, there was talk about Justin Herbert, uh, what to expect from the Chargers with a new first-year coach, Brandon Staley. We got into Ryan Fitzpatrick, Washington's defense, uh, fan bases, a bunch more fun conversation with Daniel Popper. I'll get to that in a few moments. And, of course, if you are a uh, – if you're new to this podcast episode, you can always find us on iTunes or Spotify. I often ask people to, hey, I appreciate it when you drop a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell people you don't like. Whoever, if, if you're interested in this podcast and you and you know they're interested in the Washington football team, let them know this is here. The more the merrier. Uh, you know, just tell them, hit the subscribe button. If they listen, you know, that's a bonus. But hit the subscribe button. That That's a big help, and we can go from there. And then that way they won't miss out on any other interviews or any other episodes. I'll have a season preview later this week. Uh, and, of course, you know we'll be talking about this team throughout the year. So tell your people, make sure to subscribe to the Standing Room Only podcast. In addition, if, you, if you're willing, you can also subscribe to read my work on The Athletic. I had a, a new story up this week about – how for Ron Rivera and his new front office, including Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, Rob Rogers, it isn't just about how to uh, upgrade the roster and, and all those things. There's also a, another component here, and that is changing the perception of the football side of this organization around the league. I talk to people around the league about that, a lot of agents who obviously deal with this organization. And I would say, based on their reaction, Washington is doing a good job so far of doing just that uh so i would say check out the article some really good stuff um and it sort of connects to this uh, to where we are now in terms of the tanya snyder interview because there was a lot of trust lost around the league during the previous well 
maybe 20 years, but certainly the previous several years under uh, former team president Bruce Allen. And the contrast between how people viewed the team then versus how they view the team now, again, on the football operations side is notable. Um, there's some, you know, there's still some skepticism about a few things, including the quarterback situation. But regardless, I think a pretty interesting interview and hopefully you guys, or not interview, but a whole interesting article and hopefully everybody will t- check that out over on The Athletic. Uh, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standing. Throw me your thoughts, whatever, about uh, week one, what you're looking forward to, um, this season, life. There's a lot to do. If you, if you, get, you, know, if you just want to talk, I'm there. For, I'm, I'm here for you. Um, all right, let's get to some of this really here quick here. I'm, I'm going to – I'll basically just encourage everybody to go listen to the Schefter podcast. Not that I'm saying it's, a, it's the best interview, and frankly, I'm not sure it's going to accomplish what I imagine Washington PR wanted it to. Um, I think there was some uh, – if not misstep, some confusion, we'll just say, um, about the situation. And I, I want to – from an accuracy standpoint, I'm, I, I took notes, and I'm going to go through this as best I can, but, I'm, you know – Listen, read for your or listen for yourself. Uh, we'll go from there. But just a couple quick, a couple quick things. First off, just a, a note: uh, we've all been wondering on this side but with the you know with the local media, when would Tanya Snyder give an interview? Figured she would, whereas Dan Snyder never gives interviews. It seemed like she was more likely to do that. She's been out and about in ways we never saw Dan Snyder. She was at in Richmond at training camp, you know, throwing out football and other uh, apparel to fans. She was recently at the event over at Andrews Air Force Base where they held a, a, a practice uh, f- in front of uh, the servicemen and women. Um, so it seemed likely that that would happen. It did here with Schefter. Let's note ESPN is a is a partner with the NFL. So, um, you know, can at least infer they probably wouldn't get some of the pointed questions that others might ask. Um I think one thing that stood out to me right off the bat was in the interview, Schefter says that in trying to explain to an audience who maybe is not as familiar with the situation as those of us here on the ground are in the D.C. area, is that Tanya Snyder has always been involved in the franchise is what he said, but now it's in a more pronounced way. Well, that's true, but if that's true on, if that's true on both ends, that's important to note because if we're going to just sit here, as people have done, and just sort of put it all on Dan Snyder – either Tanya Snyder was involved or she wasn't involved. She even later says she was involved in various meetings, made some suggestions and they were essentially ignored. She doesn't say what or by whom the inference is that it was Bruce Allen or at least somebody in management. um, Because she said something about that, you know, that they had people that they paid good money to and that they were, you know, she respected to do these jobs and so on. Um, My point is that, you know, she was in a position of authority to do various things. And we can all quibble and say, well, you don't want owners meddling. Yes, you don't want owners meddling with drafting the quarterback in the first round when people say, when people in your personnel department say, don't do that, right? What we're talking about running the organization. This is the job of the of the team. Now, I don't know. Maybe Tanya Snyder's suggestion was they should trade up the draft during Haskins. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But if we're talking about the the functioning of the organization, the business side, and she's saying she was ignored. I mean, again, I, I don't know, but um, you know, she was in a position to do something about it. Now it sounds like she is, and she's been around more. That seems to be, um, it seems to be apparent. Um, it, get, it gets into the idea of, 
how difficult this year has been. Um, she says just that you know it's been it's been one of the most difficult years um, in mine and Dan's and our family's lives. She also goes in to talk about that um, when, as Schefter brings this up and brings up the, the events of the past year without ever saying what the events of the past year were. Um, she says that quote, "I get a lump in my throat. It's a cross between I don't know a crime show and a nightmare movie." Um, she Schefter then comes back to that asks, "Could you explain?" What do you mean? Where does that about where does that origins of the lump in the throat come from? And she says, uh, "quote I think it's just the pain from our family, our children, just a lot of the tough times that we've gone through." Um, and then she jumps in here and says, "And as you know, the media, <laughs> it is what it is." Um, she goes on to say that when you know when you don't ha- when you don't have your voice out there, people can say whatever. Quote and quote that has been the case. I don't think any of us were preventing them from speaking. Uh, again. Her husband chooses to basically never speak. Um, and, you know, this kind of goes on. She later says that, you know, when when Schefter sort of presses it a little bit more and mentions that, you know, there were some pretty tough things out there, she says, yes, she's horrified. Needless to say, it was horrifying. I tried to stop reading it at all because it, become, it became too much and too ridiculous. Um, and this is another quote where it puts me is wanting to dig my heels in stronger, get off the bench, stand up, get active, and go into action mode. Um, she also says she, quote, had a mama bear instinct, end quote, kick in, and says notes that the family easily could have sailed away. I mean, literally, the Dan Snyder Yatza thing. Uh, but, quote, but that's not who we are. That's not what I want to teach my kids. Um, cool. All that's great. I don't believe at any point she actually addresses the women who um, made the who were uh, came forward with talk of harassment, either workplace harassment or sexual harassment, as was reported on at length in the Washington Post. Again, the NFL fined the organization, the Snyders effectively, but the organization, $10 million. Um, based on the investigation into all this, they didn't, they chose to not release the report. Uh, I don't know what was in the report. But whatever it was, they chose not to release it and yet find them $10 million. And we saw the reporting from the Washington Post. And, you know, obviously, you know, those of us here local have heard other things as well that, you know, couldn't report on for a variety of reasons. But my point is that at no point, you know, in the, in the terrible year and the horrifying year and all that. And I understand from their perspective, from a family, it must have been a, it must have been tough. And you have kids. And I, I respect I respect that the kids were not put in this. You know, they didn't choose to be in this position. I get that. Um, but it felt very much like the issue was they had the tough year, the Snyders, not not other people. They're the victims here, not the, not anybody else. Um, that I mean, again, uh, I, if I missed it, I missed it. I did not hear any mention of what actually happened really here. So um, I just think that needs to be needs to be noted and you know when she mentions that it's time to stand up dig in my heels get off the bench get active and go into action mode i mean that's great and it does look like they've been doing some you know different things they obviously hired jason wright um or jason wright is here jason wright has gone to hire a bunch of other people it seems like things are progressing in a better way at least everything seems to be more functional kudos to them for that um but at the same time you know at some point (laughs) you know i don't know i mean 
if there's nothing to hide, I guess I don't know why the NFL is, you know, not sharing that report, right? So something doesn't seem to make sense, but why, you know, I guess that's not overly surprising. She mentions that this effectively says that the starting of the turnaround began when they hired Ron Rivera. Of course, Ron Rivera was hired several months before any of this came out publicly. So there's that. Um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> again, I'll give Tanya Snyder credit for speaking, something her husband hasn't done. But at the same time, um, you know, this didn't come off to me as, I mean, there was no, uh, it was no taking, it was not much taking the blame here. There was blaming the media. There was no mention of the women, um, you know, do that what you wish. I'm curious what people think of this. Um, for sure. Uh, I, I will, I also note that like, if you're at, if you're one of these people wondering why is she talking to a national reporter and, 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 and harping on the, the, the local media for not being involved. I mean, honestly, how clueless do you have to be? You think none of us are asking to get a Tanya Snyder interview? I mean, are you really that dense? You gotta be right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, get it, get out of here. They're obviously, again, I give Washington a lot of credit for their PR stepping up with their PR in terms of being functional. But the point of having PR is to bet, put the best positive spin you can. And they're giving, I mean, again, the interview with Tanya Snyder went to a local or sorry, went to something of a friendly voice. I'm not talking about Adam Schefter per se. I'm talking about ESPN. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, you know, business is business. Um, one other thing here, but anyway, yeah. Okay. One other thing, Schefter goes, gets into the name stuff and he said, and he goes in and he's trying to like press her a little bit, says, okay, you had eight names, but now you're down to three. He rattles off eight names. Uh, they're the same eight names that were mentioned a couple weeks ago online as some sort of definitive, here are the eight names in the list. This is following that video that the team put out with Jason Wright, Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew you know, pretending that they're having a conversation about the actual final three names and they bleep the names out and that whole thing. Um, and Jason Wright came out at that point and said, no, 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 there's no definitive list of eight, th- whatever. Well, Schefter reads off the exact, effectively rattles off the exact same list of eight. He says that it's fact that these are eight. She says, she he he says, correct, you know, he, he asks her for confirmation. She says, yes, and then says, wait, have these things been made public? And he says, yes, and again, these are names we were told were not a definitive list of a final eight. Um, presumably one of them inclu- is the actual name or the final three, if that's an actual thing. But in any event, Washington's going to have a little bit of cleanup to do here because either A, Jason Wright was not telling us the truth when he said that there, this was not a definitive list of eight, or one of the people who is um been running point on this uh, in our athletic story a few weeks back about the name change process. You know, we went through the names of the people who were part of this conversation and Tanya Snyder was one of the very select few people. You would have to think if she's as involved as everybody is saying she is and herself included that for this huge decision, this, this name that is going to, you know, shape this you know, multi-billion dollar enterprise, she would know. So something doesn't make any sense. It's not the biggest deal in the world. I never bought into the idea that the Jason Wright, Ron Rivera thing was real anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, regardless, it's just a, a flub here. And, you know, this interview to me had a few flubs, um, I would say. But again, she spoke. 
that's not nothing. At the same time, <laughs> I don't know. I feel more confused now than I was before. And covering this team, you can imagine how confused I feel on the reg- on the regular. Um, well, anyway, let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standick. Shoot me an email, bstandick at theathletic.com. Curious your thoughts about this and whatever else you got going on with this team. Um, all right, let me end that there. I'm going to get to my interview with Daniel Popper. We're going to talk about week one, Washington football team hosting the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, Chase Young. Uh, we discussed them. We discussed both defenses, um, the offensive line, fan bases, fun interview here. We'll get to that right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. As promised, joining me here on the podcast to help us break down the Washington football team's week one opponent. He is the uh, Chargers beat writer for The Athletic. He is on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. Yes. Daniel Popper is with us. Daniel, I appreciate the time, man. How is uh, how's life on the left coast these days? Oh, it's lovely. Sunny, beautiful beaches, out surfing, eating tacos, living the dream. So no complaints here. Uh, I mean, uh, my, 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 my listeners have heard this. Uh, other than the surfing part, I, I actually did some of what you said, what you were just saying this summer. I, I took the 10 days in L.A., uh end nice. of june and tacos were very much it was a lot of walking a lot of a lot of ta- uh, being in the sun and a lot of tacos thoroughly uh, where, did you, where did you go what what places did you hit uh i primarily stayed around marina del rey at first then i went to like manhattan beach but like i walked up and down like the beach like between like marina del yeah. rey venice uh, uh santa monica stuff like that where where where, 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 where do you hang out yeah, I'm. Uh, I live in Venice, so I, I actually know that area really well. But uh, yeah, the beachfront in Manhattan is beautiful. Just walking up and down that promenade, and obviously Santa Monica gets a little touristy. But it's good to check out if you've never been to LA before. And uh, plenty of beach time over there in Venice. Really enjoy it. So it's it, a good, it's a good a uh, good part of town for sure. It is such a unique uh, space. I mean, I, for people here, I mean, I, I I can't compare anything in LA to around here. I guess it would say it's sort of like a an Adams Morgan type vibe for people who know the city uh, because of just like eclectic and you know it, it just has a different vibe to it and obviously you have a lot of the uh, um i don't know it's it, it just a it, it's just a really interesting you know i guess the, the hippie vibe to some degree and um yeah. you know so, some things like that so yeah i i, I liked it a, 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 a lot for uh for sure um and i was bummed to leave but we had to leave because the work called and here we go it's uh, it's week one we're, we're here our, our two teams are, are gonna clash we're gonna do what I did last year with some writers, and that's we're going to play three questions. We're each going to go back and forth, ask each other three questions. It's not that complicated of a game. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll get to know each other's teams a little bit better going into this, and we'll see what other trouble we can get into um, along along the way. Um, I, I, I will I will start in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, not, not, uh, normally you want to, like, let the guests lead off, but I want people to hear from you. They hear from me all the time. So we want to get in. <laughs> so, so we wanted to get it. So we want to get into what's going on with, the Chargers, and I and I guess I'll just start with this. Um, you know, Justin Herbert, 
kind of a kind of a big deal offensive rookie of the year this is of course the matchup between the two reigning rookies of the year with Chase Young on this end uh and Justin Herbert you know there's been a lot of talk about him not just because he had a really good year but also you know Washington did pass on him I, I'm not gonna there's no second guessing Washington did the right thing with Chase Young you already had Dwayne Haskins even though I was skeptical by the by the point that they had to make that call I understand why they did what they did but that said with Justin Herbert he had a great year um, there were some questions about him coming into his rookie year, mostly if seemingly about his personality and some other nonsense, but he clearly seems like he's answered a lot of that. That said, so there's always the question of a sophomore slump and we didn't see him play in the preseason. The, the, the Chargers decided to rest a lot of their main guys, but you were watching training camp. So I guess the basic question is wh- what do we make of Justin Herbert going into this year? Yeah. So I think when you talk about, regression with Justin Herbert and why some people are suggesting it's a possibility. It's really how well he performed in two specific statistical categories last year that tend to be pretty volatile. One of them is third down, which he was excellent in. And one of them is under pressure situations. He put up the best under pressure pass rating, according to PFF, since Ben Roethlisberger in 2012. It was a better under pressure, under pressure passer rating than Aaron Rodgers has ever had. Patrick Mahomes has ever had. Russell Wilson has ever had and typically a player flying in that area a year over year and also on third down um internally the Chargers would tell you well that's the, the under pressure stuff is going to be more sticky because Justin Herbert is great in that area like it takes arm talent it takes a certain type of player a ter- certain type of mentality to hang in the pocket and deliver throws the way that he delivered throws last year the third down stuff internally they would tell you that that's probably not going to be as sticky you don't want your quarterback escaping the pocket on third and eight to third and 12 on every single possession making off-platform throws into tight windows like that is not a recipe for success so how do you avoid regression if those two statistical categories performance in those areas are probably going to decline well you improve in the stickier areas the less volatile areas which is first and second down and clean pocket situations and with Better coaching, I believe, um, with a better mastery of protections, of the playbook, of what opposing defenses are trying to do against him, a more cerebral approach to playing quarterback. I think he can improve in those two areas to offset any regression that might happen uh, in third down and under pressure. So I'm expecting a, a similar type performance from Justin Herbert and I think the one thing that jumped out last year is that he really limited turnovers despite having one of the worst offensive lines in football like he had the 31st ranked rushing efficiency in the league behind a really bad offensive line that's according to football outsiders DVOA and then ESPN had their pass protection flashback win rate ranked 31st in the league as well so you had he was not in a good environment and so if you you know they went out and they overhauled the line you expect them to be better in pass protection you expect them to have a more efficient running game which should set up easier third downs and all of a sudden um, his performance will be able to uh, be replicated um, because of these improvements a lot to chew on there and i appreciate the the insight i guess just to localize it to what's going to come up for this week obviously the chargers as i said didn't they didn't use herbert in in the preseason at, at, at all what's your view either just from your own personal view or having watched him do you think that's going to cause any type of uh 
potential for a slow start. I mean, obviously preseason can be overstated. And it's not like Fitzpatrick in the offense here played a ton, but they played some, got hit, things like that. Uh, do you think you, are you any, any reason for concern for a possible slow start? Yeah, I don't really think that'll be the case. Um, obviously got a ton of reps in practice. They had those joint practices with the 49ers. And, you know, Brandon Staley's philosophy is, listen, our practices are going to be closer to a regular season game than any preseason game, uh, just in terms of the level of competition, um, the amount of stuff that the two sides are throwing at each other. So I, I don't really expect him to have a slow start. The one thing uh, to think about is that, you know, the offensive line, which has four new starters on it, has not played a single snap together in a game yet. Corey Lindsley obviously sat out the entire preseason. So did Brian Belaga, Matt Filer, and Ode Ibushi. Two free agent signings, only played 16 snaps each. Rashawn Slater, the rookie left tackle, only played 20 snaps in the first preseason game. And he also missed those joint practices with the 49ers. So if there is a slow start, I wouldn't necessarily say it's because Justin Herbert didn't play. I think it might be more related to you know, that offensive line developing cohesion and synergy and the communication necessary to be capable as run blockers and pass protection. But I don't, I don't see that being the case. I think Justin Herbert is ready to play from everything I've seen in practice. He looks like the same player, if not a better player. I think one thing that jumped out to me from the training camp practices is like last year, especially early on in the season, it was all fastballs. Like it's like a starting pitcher that, you know, can throw hundred miles an hour and they're going out there in the first inning and they're just throwing a hundred Versus a pitcher who learns, okay, I can throw 100, like Garrett Cole, for example, and he can sit at 96 for most of the game and then reach back for 100 um, in the moments that he needs it. And that's sort of where Justin Herbert is trending. It's, it's not all fastballs anymore. He's learning when to throw with touch, when to layer the ball into windows. And that's something that I didn't see a lot of last year. And that's going to make him even more dangerous because we all know the arm strength. But when he realizes, like, okay, sometimes I just need to float this ball in there to fit it in between a corner and a safety over the top. And that's going to lead to more completions. That's something that I've really seen improvement from him um, year to year. All right. Noted. Well, like I said, obviously, you know, from Washington's perspective, it's a schedule loaded with top top end quarterbacks starting with with this guy. So it's going to be really interesting. This is supposedly a top shelf defense here. And Justin Herbert's going to give them a lot to consider right off the bat with the, with the weapons he has. Um, all right. Good thoughts there on Herbert. Your turn. What do you got? OK, so I got to start with Fitz. Because I covered Fitzmagic, Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, in 2016 was when he was with the Jets. Arguably his best season as a quarterback. He almost led the Jets to the playoffs. And the one thing that I see some similarities between that team and this team is really good skill players. Uh, he had Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker on the outside in that offense and, you know, set records for the Jets in terms of, uh, you know, production among uh, two receivers. Um so I'm curious, what is the feeling around Ryan Fitzpatrick? How much, how much confidence do they have in him? And I, I think the one thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick is he's a gunslinger. He's going to push the ball down the field. But how, how is he going to, if at all, change his game now that he has this exceptional, potentially top three defense? Is he going to rein it in a little bit? Is he going to take the more game manager role? Or is Ryan Fitzpatrick always going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick and is he going to push the ball down the field with all these speedsters uh, in their skill position group? Yeah, so I mean the Fitzpatrick thing is obviously incredibly interesting for a hundred reasons. Um, yeah. In terms of Washington, like it's 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 of two minds. I think one is he's an upgrade over what they had last year. This team won seven games, won, won the lousy NFC East, but one you know push imp, imp, improve late despite 
getting not much from the quarterback position. Dwayne Haskins was overmatched, and Alex Smith. I mean, in a you know an off the an all time great comeback story. Yeah, but you know, incredibly limited with what he could do um, physically. So the fact that Fitzpatrick is going to be able to throw the ball up the field that that wasn't something that they, that they were they were really capable of doing last year from that from that spot. I think it's as a lot of people thinking, boy, this could be really exciting and plus then on top of it they added curtis samuel who will will be getting he's back in practice this week he hasn't practiced all summer but he's back this week they draft uh, this kid diami brown um you've got terry mclaurin antonio gibson logan thomas like there's reasons to be optimistic that this offense can do stuff with an aggressive quarterback however (laughs) he's ryan fitzpatrick and you know you ask the question basically you know can can you teach an old dog new tricks and i Regardless of what anybody says, I just don't think the I think the answer is going to be realistically no. I think the only yeah. thing that they can do is to try to minimize the danger by by giving him the best type of um, you know play calls and put him in the best situations to you know to maximize his strengths and and limit the downside. Now, of course, you could say that with every quarterback, right? I mean, that, that's the point for everything. You know, get the best out of somebody. <laughs> oh, d- downside downside the worst and you're right about the game manager thing it would be because of the defense that they have it would be ironic it's ironic on some level they'd be better off with the alex smith type i say better off i mean you know we'll see i mean hypothetically a guy who's going to have less turnovers and you know um but but they'd be able to do enough versus a guy who may be able more prone to to these kinds of mistakes um I, i think in general though i mean i think people are i think there's optimism with fitzpatrick but again it's in context of what happened before and also Ron Rivera talked about this quarterback competition he was going to have all year in part because he admitted that he screwed up last year by not having one. I think it, it basically though, it was a lot of, it was a lot of words. There was no real quarterback competition here in part because I don't think Taylor Heineke pushed Ryan Fitzpatrick for that, even though we had a really fun playoff game last year. We all saw, we all saw that, but I mean, it wasn't, the, 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 there was no follow-up. There's a reason why Taylor Heineke was on the street one month prior, which isn't to say he can't help if he has to get thrown into a game. Same with Kyle Allen. It's just to say, it's kind of Ryan Fitzpatrick or bust to a degree at this point. And he's got the most experience. He, he's really, you know, he's totally solid. He is playing arguably the best football of his career. Uh, but at the same point, when people ask me like, what do you think the record's going to be? I'm like, you got to tell me, you know, can Ryan Fitzpatrick, when he has these meltdowns, can they be isolated to a, a game or two and maybe blow those, but in the other ones, he's playing more consistent or not. And that's going to be, I think a huge part of the season. So I think there's optimism with Fitzpatrick, but I think, I don't think anybody's pretending that he's something that he's not. Right. I, I feel like that's the overarching question is like, what version of Fitzpatrick are the, is the Washington football team getting? And that's really the, you know, the answer to that question is how good this team is going to be in my mind. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating story and um, uh, you know, I mean, Washington tried to get Stafford. They tried to look at some other things. They passed on the draft. They're going with Fitzpatrick. It's really such an incredible story. This guy with the Curry's hat in at 38. You're like, okay, that's our guy. Really? And yet on the other hand, it's like, wow, thank God we got Ryan Fitzpatrick because look what happened. Look what they had last year. Um, so it's, it's super, it's super wild. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you uh, my, my second question. So we just talked about a guy in Fitzpatrick who was, in, who was a known commodity. I mean, we don't know exactly what you're going to get, but we know simultaneously what we're going to get. You have a head coach who is a complete unknown in, in a lot of ways. I mean, Brandon Staley has been around as an assistant but you know it, you never know how a head coach is gonna go some guys you know can ha- handle that handle that role you know like a Sean McVay a couple of years ago and just come out flying you're like wow this guy it's a total natural servant and others can really struggle and you know and 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 
maybe it just they're you know they're better off as a coordinator what have you there um again you guys didn't we didn't see the full chargers in preseason but you're you're getting a look at them in practice and maybe more to the point you're hearing from staley you know whenever you guys are holding media availability with him you're hearing other people talk about him you're talking to people so what's your sense of brandon staley and i guess in terms of sunday like what what you know he comes from the defensive side what do you think the imprint of a brandon staley team is going to be this year yeah so you know i think the one thing that jumps out about brandon staley as a football coach is how smart he is i mean you talk about like the savant cut of nfl coaches the the mcveigh mold like that's brandon staley on the side of the football every player you talk to the first thing they say is this guy is smart, like really smart. Like he can do, he can talk X's and O's at the highest, highest level of football. And that builds trust with his players just because they look at it and they say, okay, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. I, I think secondarily, he's an excellent communicator. So he is really, really smart and has all of these ideas that are outside of the box, but he's able to communicate them and distill the information to his players in a way that they understand it. And I can give you an example. When he was doing his defensive install, instead of immediately going straight into assignments and X's and O's stuff, he spent the early stages of the install talking about philosophy. These are the things that we do and why we do them, right? This is, this is how we play. And, and in, these, in sort of these generalities, not necessarily into specifics. And that way, he felt like his players could really understand the reasons why they were doing the things they were doing on the field and allow his players to take ownership of the defense or the offense. Um, and and I, just in talking to players, like that's different than most NFL coaches. Most NFL coaches come in and they have their assignment sheet and they give it to the player and they're like, all right, in cover three, this is your job. Go do it. With Brandon Staley, it's what is the entire defense trying to accomplish when we play cover three? And not and if you're a cornerback, it's not just what you're doing at corner. It's what's, what's the slot corner doing? What's the defensive line doing? What are the edge rushers doing? What are the linebackers doing? What are the safeties doing? And why are they doing all of those things? And so I think that uh, is a different approach. And that tells me that maybe this will look a little bit different. And maybe they're going to have a little more success. I'm confident in coaching staff right now. However, there is a caveat. There isn't a lot of experience here. And when bullets start flying, to use a cliche, you know, everything changes, you know, they can talk the talk all preseason and training camp, like they're going to be excellent game managers, and they're going to throw all these different formations and personnel packages and moving parts at opposing offenses and opposing defenses. It all sounds really great, but it has to come to fruition on the field, right? And you have to be making these decision management in terms of fourth down decisions, when to punt, um, when to take your timeouts, all this stuff. That all has to happen in the game. Now they added an extra analytics staffer and Brandon Staley believes in the numbers and he has being fed live information from his analytics department. He's, there, he's got two staffers that are feeding him, you know, green go, yellow caution, whatever, like, you know, using win probability numbers to determine, okay, should we go for it? Should we punt? Should we kick a field goal, et cetera, et cetera. But when those, when you have to make those decisions, like when you're Matt LaFleur and you're in a playoff game and you have to make a decision that might decide your season, like, are you going to listen to those analytics staffers or are you going to go with your gut? And that's the stuff that we don't know until they get into actual games. So I think he's saying all the right things. I think all the players are talking about him like he is on a path to success. 
Um, but I have to wait and see what happens in these games and see the product on the field and see the decision-making in action before I can say, oh yeah, this guy's actually a really good coach. Um, interesting. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, for all the talk and there's always, you know, training camp is always, it's like spring training in baseball. It's all positive. Everybody's, you yeah. know, we feel good. We feel this, but then when stuff starts happening, is when you'll get to get to see it. Um, I, I guess I'll just say from the defense perspective, I think we're all fascinated to see uh, the Joey Bosa matchup against Washington's tackles, two new tackles. Um, and uh, I think that's an underrated concern for the, for Washington, which isn't to say they won't be okay, but Charles Leno was released by the bears for a reason. And they have a rookie at right tackle and uh, you know, rookies can go through struggles, especially when you're going against one of the top bass rushers in the league week one. So I think that's going to be a really interesting scenario to watch um in in this uh game to say the least um all right you uh you can address that or you can fire off your next no question. no that's a good segue because that was my second question so i you know looking at the roster breakdown obviously um you know they invested heavily in this defensive line over four consecutive drafts using first round picks on defensive linemen it's why i believe they're the best defensive line in football but then you flip it to the other side of the trenches and that does not look great. And Brandon Scherf is one of the best guards in football, obviously, but the pieces around him are not very great. So I'm just curious, like in Washington and internally, obviously you mentioned the two new tackles, but how does that, how do, um, you know, how does the fan base, how does the team sort of reconcile that the amount of investment that the organization has put in on one side of the ball versus the other side of the ball in the trenches and sort of the question marks that sort of, that exist now on that offensive line with Sam Cosme, the rookie at right tackle and Charles Leno, who was a discarded piece at left. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So obviously Ron Rivera inherited a lot of these things. They drafted Chase Young, but the other three defensive line starters were already here. Same with Matt Ioannidis. So to a degree, he couldn't do too much about that. And this year they did spend a second round pick on Cosme. They also re-signed Chase Ruye to a four-year contract towards the end of last season um as a sign of um you know the wanting to keep this guy around they, they gave brandon sheriff a franchise tag for a second year in a row because they couldn't come to a long-term deal that's a problem for next year and i would imagine this is brandon sheriff's last year here because you know he couldn't if he couldn't have gotten to a, a deal by now after two of these you know even including two under rivera then i don't know how what to expect of that but in terms of in terms of this year yeah i mean I, I think it's interesting, right? Because so much of the focus always is on the quarterbacks uh, and, and, and so much of the time about this offense because of last year was, well, what are you, what are we doing at, at quarterback? Then they spend a lot of money on Curtis Samuel. They they draft a receiver in the third round. People were hyped about McLaurin and Gibson uh, coming off the years that they had. And I feel like to a degree in totality, we've all sort of just like, okay, well they moved on from the, you know, the, the, the offensive line is what the offensive line, they, they, they basically swapped out Morgan Moses, who was the equivalent of Charles Leno at right tackle. They, they moved him out. And um, when they drafted Cosme, I think the orig original thought was he's going to play left tackle, either he or Cornelius Lucas, who was sort of a stopgap option at left tackle last year. One of these two guys is going to play that spot. Then with Moses on the right side, when they swapped out Moses for Leno and moved the rookie over to the right side, I think because of how the left side is viewed as more important, we sort of like, we're like, eh, okay, the left side is fine. Now let's see what the rookie does over here. Then Cosme wasn't great early in training camp, which again, he's a rookie and he's facing Ch Chase Young and Montez Sweat in practice 
I think people were probably forgetting some of those things. Anyway, he got better. And then once he started to get better, I think it was like, well, okay, good. If he, as long as he's doing some good stuff, then things should be okay. But I do think there's questions about Leno on the left side, which isn't to say he can't be solid. It's not like I'm saying it's a, he's going to be a turnstile. It's to say, you know, teams typically don't get rid of starting left tackles who don't make insane money, but the bears did that to go with a rookie and Tevin Jenkins, who, I mean, I had heard wasn't even, shouldn't have been considered on the left side for other teams. And now he's hurt. So that's, that's another podcast, but I think it is more of a concern than probably in total people have let on. But I, I do notice that people like you and others on the national scene, when they're looking at Washington, that is a position that they focus on. Um, Mike Sando, our colleague had a story at this morning. We're talking on a uh, Tuesday, the story this morning, he's talked to NFL executives about like, what's an, what's an issue with the, with all the teams and the Washington issue was the line. And so I do think, that is something to be concerning, concerned with. And for all the talk of the upgrades at QB and playmakers, you know, look, if you don't have a good line, you don't have not. It doesn't matter what else you have. It, it, it's, it's flipped the other way. You have a good line. You can make everything else better. So not yeah. to say, not saying the line is a, is, is a negative and will be a problem, but I do think um, there are some concerns about what they have at tackle for now. I do think they like Cosme and he's improved, as I said. And I think, you know, with Scherf and Rui, those are obviously some pretty good players in the middle left guard. They've got options in Eric Flowers and West Schweitzer, but you know, it's not, we're not going to talk about pro bowlers, um, yeah. you know, or, 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 you know, so I mean, Flowers was dumped by Miami, you know, for a reason. So, um, so yeah, so there's concerns for sure. And obviously when you look at what you guys have on the line, I mentioned both already and some other pieces in the front seven, it's going to be a, a, an interesting challenge right off the, right off the bat. Yeah, for sure. That's sort of what I was getting at. Cause, and it's an interesting sort of parallel um, just because, the Chargers have always had, um, you know, really good defensive lines. Um, obviously, Melvin Ingram and, and Joey Bosa were there for a number of years. Melvin Ingram's gone now. Um, but the, the issue has always been the investment in the offensive line. Uh, they've tried to find stopgaps you know, via free agency, similar to, you know, what Washington did with, with Charles Leno. You know, they had Russell Okung for about a year and a half before he had a, you know, pulmonary embolism. Uh, they had Mike Pouncey for basically a year before he suffered a bunch of different injuries and he's now retired. Michael Schofield's a guy they picked up off waivers from the Broncos and managed to turn him into a serviceable starting guard. But for the most part, they haven't drafted and developed offensive linemen despite having all of these excellent pieces on defense. And it seems like Washington is in a similar position. So Scherf is the uh, exception there, but it just seems like, uh, you know, a, an offensive line that you know is one injury away from um you know being in a little bit of trouble in terms of pass protecting and, and establishing an efficient running game you know yeah no 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 question i mean i i would always to me you got to invest in your lines and i know rivera believes in this so i would imagine going forward they'll look to do that but yes for sure there's some questions right now um but we'll see and again questions doesn't mean negative it just means we don't know and we'll have to see how it's um how it plays out. All right. Uh, my third and final question for you. I don't know if this is so much about the game, but I am just sort of curious because here in Washington, um, you know, this was obviously one of the you know storied franchises in the leagues, particularly uh, during the, the eighties and nineties under Joe Gibbs, you know, they win some Super Bowls, things like that. And then it's been kind of a, you know, it's not been as good. We'll just say over the last <laughs> 20, 20 years or so. And it really felt over the last three, four or five years that the fan base really started to erode. And you started to seeing a lot of games at home where the, um, you know, whether they were playing a division opponent or the Steelers or somebody like that, someplace that has fans that travel that the stadium started to get overrun with the opposing 
team. And, you know, obviously last year, because of the COVID situation, there were no fans. So we're not quite sure what to make of the situation. Maybe the week, maybe game one, there'll be a decent crowd. But in general, I think there's a lot of questions about where is the fan base right now with this team winning cures all, but you know, we'll see how that goes. What I guess I'm wondering from you is you cover a team that like, I don't even know what the fan base is right now. I mean, obviously they moved uh, cities. It feels like even within LA it's the Rams and then we'll get to the chargers at some point. And like, even in terms of this game, if it was almost any other team on their home schedule this year, we might be thinking, Oh, that team's fan base is going to come in here and run over the stadium. But I think here we're kind of like, yeah, there might be, you know, we might see a couple of Ladanian Tomlinson jerseys and, and that'd be, that'd be about it. So I guess I'm just wondering like, what's this, like, what's it like right now covering a team in which the fans base is? it's not that it's, it doesn't appear that it's ambivalent. It appears to be pretty small. And how does, do you think that affects the team at all? Because obviously, you know, players, whatever they want to say, they get all, you know, they, 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 they do get something from the emotion that comes with it, but it doesn't seem like it's there when I'm looking at it from the outside. Yeah. So, so there is a fan base, 100% there is a fan base. Like I, I see it on Twitter. I, I see it in my comment section on the athletic. Like there is a lot of interest in this team. I just think it is a little more spread out than your average NFL fan base. It's not firmly entrenched in LA yet. You have fans in LA, you have fans in Orange County, you have fans in San Diego, you have fans in Tijuana, Mexico, uh, you have fans in the UK, uh, you have fans all over. I mean, I do a YouTube live stream. There are people from you know Iceland asking me questions in my in my YouTube live stream. So I think it's pretty spread out, but they do have a lot of momentum in the city. And this is a big year because you talked about sort of the players and how they react to, to playing for an organization that has picked up and left the city and moved somewhere else. Um, and I think it impacted them when they were playing in the soccer stadium before SoFi stadium opened. Um, and, you know, there were so few seats available um, that it just every week was getting overrun with opposing fans. And it was pretty brutal for the players. Like they didn't say it publicly, but I know for a fact that, there was a lot of tension uh, internally in the organization just about how difficult that process was for the players to go out week after week and have no home field advantage to be, you know, practicing and playing in a temporary facility, all of these things um, that don't usually happen in the NFL, but there's momentum now because this stadium is unbelievable. I mean, it is immaculate and, you know, when the Cowboys come to town, there are going to be a lot of Cowboys fans in the stands. When the Raiders come to town, there are going to be a lot of Raiders fans in the in the crowd. And, and that's understandable at this stage. Um, but I think there are going to be some games where you see a lot of chargers fans. I think the one to, to look at is, you know, chargers Broncos. I think that could be a significant home field advantage, but the question isn't what's it going to look like this season for me, at least it's what's it look like five years from now. You know, if you have Justin Herbert that, and he turns into a legitimate top five quarterback and Brandon Staley is as advertised as this young up and coming out thinking outside the box type coach, visionary type coach, and they're winning games and they're contending for the playoffs and they're contending even for Super Bowls. Five years from now, like people are going to be Chargers fans. And that's the plan for the organization is you're not going to convince the, uh, you know, 50 year old who's been living in LA for most of his life, who used to be a Rams fan, or, you know, the person that grew up and is 35 now and became a Cowboys fan because there was no NFL in LA. You're not really going to convince those people, but you're going to convince the 10 year old kid growing up in Inglewood, right outside the stadium, who sees just 
Justin Herbert and sees this exciting offense and sees it sees Derwin James and the, and the powder blues and the, the great, you know, Twitter presence, that kind of stuff. And, you know, when that kid turns, you know, 20 and has a little bit of money, is he going to buy tickets to SoFi Stadium to see the Rams, the Chargers, probably the Chargers because they're more exciting team right now, in my opinion. We'll see what happens with Stafford, obviously. But I think that's the plan for the organization. Um, and they do have a lot of momentum right now. So we'll see what happens down the road. The Powder Blues, it's, it, is, it is a very strong case to be a fan of that team just, oh to, my get, God, right? just to get the jerseys. I could, I, could, I, could accept, I could accept that for sure. No, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating from the outside. I wish they had stayed in San Diego just because it's like, ah, oh, come on, L.A. I mean, two teams, but that stadium is – I saw it from the outside when I was out there. looks really nice. It wouldn't stun me yeah. if this place, because they're looking to build a stadium – went tried to model something after that but uh yeah but look that's the thing ultimately with all these topics same thing here winning cures a lot and when you have a guy like justin herbert that will do a lot of things that's that's what's interesting here with washington they need as good as chase young is they don't have the quarterback and they ultimately they're gonna have to get that at some point regardless of how this uh season goes um all right uh time for your last question for me what you got okay final question what are your expectations for this secondary um, Landon Collins, obviously, uh, I was familiar with him when I covered the Giants, obviously a second round pick there before he signed with the, uh, with the Washington football team, um, coming off that Achilles, um, they go out, they sign William Jackson, who I think is an underrated player in the league. Like, I think he's a really, really good corner. Um, Keenan Allen actually talked about him the other day and was like, yeah, that guy's a baller. Um, just what are your expectations? Obviously a little, looks a little new with William Jackson in there, but sort of what are your expectations for Landon Collins and then all just for the secondary as a whole? Yeah, so Washington secretary, or secondary, second, secondary over the last <laughs> decade, kind of no matter, you, you know, you, you had some stars here and there, but for the most part, it's been kind of a mess, particularly at safety spot. Um, you, you know, they, they just have not been able to figure anything out. On paper, this group actually looks pretty good. Uh, you know, you mentioned William Jackson. They spent a lot of money to sign him. He's kind of had, like, so I would say sort of an up and down camp. Um, Terry McLaurin was getting the best of him early on and then um you know there's been this talk he played a lot of uh, man concepts with cincinnati here they use a lot more zone i think that's you know teams teams mix and match it's not like it's one or the other but there's some but he's admitted to a bit of adjustment there and he had a little bit of a thigh issue that kept him out of practice at points but he's been back but they drafted this kid benjamin st juice out of minnesota in the third round six foot three lengthy and you know you know you never know how these things go he's been so interesting off the bat they basically I mean, starter is relative. If they go with a base lineup, then they're only four uh, four defensive backs. But in terms of the sub package, they're going to use a lot. I think he's the cornerback on the outside opposite Jackson with Kendall Fuller shifting inside to the slot. And on paper, I think that's going to be a really good trio. And then you look at safety. Uh, the biggest surprise probably of all of training camp was Landon Collins came back as quickly as he did from a torn Achilles. Um, and he looked pretty spry out there now. Landon Collins wasn't very good last year prior to the injury in week six. And the year before was like, uh, you know, what are they? I don't think they're getting what they paid for. So it's hard to sit here and go, Hey, a guy who was already sort of a little had struggles in the passing game and is not the fleetest of foot already is going to somehow be better post Achilles tear, but he has looked good early. He's saying all the right things. They're there. You know, it looks promising, right? So all that is, is hopeful. Plus, they, they, Cameron Curl was a big revelation last year, the seventh round pick who they use as their um, 
what they call their big nickel. Uh, you, you know, so they took a linebacker off the field. He's a guy that can play close to the line of scrimmage or play deep center field. He might be the starting free safety in a certain sense. And they have Bobby McCain, who they signed. Um, he was with Miami last year. I think those three at safety look to be a pretty good combination too. So I think their top six in the secondary is actually legit. And then when you factor in that they're playing behind the defensive line that should be forcing a lot of pressure, then they should even be better. So I actually think this is a potential, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say strength. I can't go there yet until we actually see it, but I don't think it'll be a liability, which is not something I've been able to say for the last few years. So I actually think the combination of that group with the, the front four is pretty good. I think there's still questions at linebacker. That's the weakest part of the, of this group, but I think the secondary um, is going to be really interesting. And like I said, we'll see week one, how Jackson adjusts and a lot of it's probably going to stem from there as to, you know, how this group goes. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, you know, you don't need the secondary to be like all pro level when you have the best defensive line in football, you know, like you expect quarterback and creating pressure. It's obviously going to, um, you know, lower the, <laughs> the amount of time that these uh, defensive backs have to be in coverage. So, you know, that, that kind of presence of the defensive line, I think would lift any secondary in the league and, and they've got some players back there uh, that are certainly talented. So you'd expect the defense to be, I mean, I, you expect the defense to be top five in the league. No question. In theory. Um, yeah. on, the, on, on the one hand, I think people sort of over, I've talked about this before. I think people sort of overrated the defense because obviously when you want to take a snapshot of a team and you see the statistical numbers that they put up last year, you think, wow, that was really good. They played a lot of backup quarterbacks, piled up a lot of great stats against the Ben DiNucci's and the Nate Sudfelds of the world, Ryan Finley's and whatever. But, Regardless, there's Jeez. still a lot of there's still a lot of talent. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there, there's still a lot of talent out there to be excited about. So um, that that's what's interesting. And I guess I would say like the most optimistic thing I'd say for Washington is their best players are their young players, and there's room to grow, and that's that's what makes it exciting. On top of you know a better quarterback and some things like that. Um, all right. So lastly, I guess we have to make predictions. I mean, I, I didn't tell you that, but I mean, you know, that's how we all know how this game works. So they're going to play on Sunday, week one. Uh, I, I would imagine both of us are sitting here going, you know, sure. Why not our team winning, but you know, got to make a call. So what's your take week one, who's going to win. I've got Washington 21 chargers 17. That's the prediction uh, that I'm going with. Um, yeah. I just, I worry about um, this defensive line. I mean, I, you know, covering the giants and growing up around New York, you know, you just know what supremely talented defensive line can get you. I mean, it won Eli Manning two Super Bowls. Um, and that's the level of talent that I see on this defensive line. Right now, Ryan Bulaga is a question mark to play on Sunday. Um, we'll see what happens later in the week. But he's dealing with the hip flexor groin thing. And if he can play, it's Storm Norton, former XFL player at right tackle. I mean, we talked about the offensive line depth and how they haven't drafted or developed players storm norton could be in there at right tackle going up against chase young or montez sweat and that gives me some concern so i primarily look at that defensive line offensive line matchup and that's why i trend to go um toward washington 21 17 storm norton now i want him to play just to be able to like discuss the name that's a tremendous <laughs> yeah. name wow yeah. storm norton um first awesome. team all name team <laughs> gotcha um well daniel i really appreciate the time before i let you go anything obviously you've been writing a ton about 
this about your team is there any one article you either have this week or recently that you think you know for people who are on my end who want to get a better sense of this group any article that you would sort of point to to, to tell people to uh to take a look at wait do we get a prediction from you or is it just me? oh yeah that's true i guess i didn't say that um i'll 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 i'll, I'll use the same score no, actually i'll go the same result i'll go 21 17 washington i mean okay. i don't know i mean there is some there are some positive vibes coming out of here and you know i i I don't know what the, I mean, I hate, I hate being so wishy-washy with this team, but like I said, I just don't know what to make of, of yeah. make of Fitzpatrick. And, you know, the, the preseason didn't give me a lot of, a, a ton of insight either, but, um, and, and we don't know if Curtis Samuel is going to play. I mean, he just returned to practice yesterday for the first time. And it seems like at best he'd be limited, which is takes away one of the offensive playmakers that they added this year to really hopefully make a difference. Um, but that said, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go positive for Washington. You know, you don't want to say any one game is, especially week one is like paramount to winning. But when you look at their schedule, that's coming up, they better, they start the first two games at home. They better go no worse than a split if they want to have a good, a good run right. here. And I think they they may even have to win two considering the challenges that are up ahead. So I'll, I'll go optimistic and go Washington. I'll, I'll use your 21 17. Cause I think that's kind of games they will probably be in this year. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I need a sample size here. There's been so much change with this organization. It's a new offense, it's a new defense, new head coach, brand new coaching staff, four new starters in the offensive line. Like, I ha- And I have no sample to work off of because none of the guys actually played in the preseason. So I understand optimism, but I'm, I'm more pragmatic than that. And I look at it and I say, okay, I need to see a product on the field before I can say, okay, yeah, this team is going to be a Super Bowl contender and they're going to go on the road against a really good team, in my opinion and win. So that's sort of where I'm at with it. But in terms of uh, stuff, I'll plug my stuff. Um, I have a cool feature coming out on Thursday. Basically, it is uh, an argument for why Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert could be the next great quarterback wide receiver duo in the NFL. Um, I got, uh, you know, a sit down with Justin Herbert, a sit down with Keenan Allen, kind of dove into how their relationship developed over their first season, got some inside info, sort of pulled back the curtain a little behind the scenes look. So I'm really excited for that on Thursday. Um, so make sure you check that out. I think that their connection, um, if this team is really good, is going to be one of the reasons that they um, are, you know, a top offense in the league. Those two guys are obviously going to be super crucial to how that offense functions. Awesome, man. I, I'm a big Keenan Allen fan. That's a, that may be my fantasy football brain talking, but I've always enjoyed uh, having him around. And obviously Herbert is super interesting. And if nothing else, it'll be exciting to watch how he progresses this year. Uh, Daniel, I definitely appreciate it, man. Uh, we will talk. Uh, and uh, yeah, good, good luck this season. It's going to be fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Many thanks to Daniel Popper for his time. Thanks to everybody here for checking out the podcast. And, uh, you know, again, hopefully, if you haven't already, take a look at The Athletic. Would love for you to subscribe. I definitely appreciate everybody that does. You're putting your money down. Uh, we hope, Hopefully, we make it worth your while, uh, for sure. And, uh, obviously, I really appreciate everybody always, always subscribing and checking out the podcast. All right. Um, but that's it for now. It's been a day. I also had a fantasy football draft in between all this. Not great. Uh We'll we'll, we'll do better the next time. Um, But that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.